Welcome to Hub & Flow, a podcast produced by Natural Gas Intelligence. On a mission to provide transparency to the natural gas market, Hub & Flow focuses on key fundamentals driving the price of natural gas and LNG in the United States, Canada, and Mexico. Natural Gas Intelligence, or NGI, is a subscription-based price reporting agency, which means we provide trusted and independent natural gas pricing and news for the North American market. On January 26th, the Biden administration announced that the Department of Energy would be pausing all non-free trade agreement permit considerations while it reviews its process for uh, export projects. This can mean a new regulatory world for project developers whenever that process ends. But more importantly, in the short term, it means an immediate pause to developing projects that we're expecting those permit decisions. With me today is Alex Mutton. Director of Global Gas and LNG Research at Rapid Energy Group. Alex has been at the forefront of of researching uh, the regulatory pitfalls that could be in store for LNG ahead of the November election. And uh, I'm happy to have you here to to break down what just happened. Thanks for uh, joining us, Alex. Jacob, thanks so much for having me on. Really uh, glad to be having this talk with you. Yeah, yeah. And we've been in touch months before this happened. And you were kind of uh, foreshadowing that this was on the horizon for quite some time now. So now now that it's here, how how do you think that that's played out based on on what you you saw months ago? That's right. As you uh, mentioned in the intro there, uh, Jacob, I manage our gas research, gas and LNG research at, at Rapidan Energy. And Rapidan is something of a unique energy research company. We specialize in the market analysis and industry analysis, but other aspects of what we do is somewhat different. We have significant expertise on the policy front. We're, uh, as a company, we're headquartered in Washington, D.C., and Houston, and broader political and geopolitical analysis. And What we try and do is look for issues that we think the industry needs to be thinking about, have on their radar as regards being a potential risk. And and this is one that we, we identified some time back, really, well, early last year is when we started thinking about the possibility that something like this could be happening. As the year unfolded, as 2023 unfolded, we became more confident in our view that the Biden administration was likely to take this step. And so what we had been speculating about or predicting might happen in the future through much of last year then became reality as you said, on January the 26th with with this announcement, it's obviously going to have a huge impact on the industry. And now it has happened. And so it is hugely consequential because that situation hasn't changed. I mean, the impact of what this means is something we'll discuss in a little bit more detail. Yeah, I think I think that would be a good place to start, and I, and I think also because it is an election year, and, and this decision's obviously uh, kicked off a lot of sensational headlines. I think maybe we should also dip into what is a, a non-free trade agreement authorization, and why a pause of those, why that makes a project not necessarily commercially viable if they don't have one. 
Okay, no, great. I mean, let's address that first off. So a non-FTA export approval, what, what does that mean? It is essentially the right to be able to export natural gas in its liquefied state, LNG, from the United States to markets or countries that do not have a free trade agreement with the United States. And that's the distinction. The world falls into two categories with respect to free trade agreements. Either the United States has a free trade agreement or it doesn't. For countries that do have a free trade agreement with the United States, then there's nothing impeding exports to those countries. The free trade agreement essentially says you can do business without any additional authorizations or approvals that are required. Now, the only problem is that, you know, when you look at global LNG demand, there's very few countries that are big importers of of LNG that have free trade agreements with the United States. South Korea is one, and that's really the only major market of note. And then there's a few other importers. Singapore would be another. And then you start getting into some countries that, yes, they do import LNG, but the volumes are very, very small. So for any developer contemplating spending billions of dollars to build an LNG export facility in the United States, it's essential, it's critical to be able to export to you know, where LNG is consumed. And that will be, by and large, in countries that do not have a free trade agreement. And so the rule is, the law is, that for any project that wants to export to non-FTA countries, they need to get approval from the Department of Energy. That's the legal framework and policy framework is in, that's in place. And so as we look at the growth and development of LNG in the United States, it really got going as a consequence of the shale revolution in the late 2000s and the opportunity to export surplus gas to the rest of the world. Throughout this entire period where you know the United States has gone from importing nothing sort of back before 2015, to now being the biggest LNG exporter in the world, it's been through a regulatory process whereby every project that wants to get built has to obtain non-FTA approval, because without one, you know, the projects are something of a non-starter. Right. And so I I think that that lays out a perfect segue to talk about why this is happening now and, and why... DOE, given that, you know, early in the Biden administration, there was movements in, in FERC to try to do something along similar lines to revise policies. But because of the uh, the power that Congress has to kind of keep that body in check, they've been stymied. So um, I think that, you, you know, you've been writing for quite some time that we should expect some kind of movement out of DOE. Yeah, that, that's right. This has come about within a particular context. And it's worth just stepping through that. And what I would say is that there's always been a level of opposition to LNG in the US because it's a 
natural gas is a fossil fuel, and there has been, you know, since the early days of the industry, a sector of society, a part of society, which doesn't want to see the growth uh, production of fossil fuels. And so there's always been an element of opposition to the development of the industry. It's been very public. I mean, you have organizations such as the Sierra Club, environmental, non-governmental organizations that try to prevent projects getting built. And that creates, to some extent, a healthy degree of pressure on the projects and the regulators to make sure that the projects do meet minimum environmental standards. And there is a very rigorous environmental process that all projects have to go through. And this is your reference to the uh, Federal Energy Regulatory Commission, or FERC, that approves projects to you know, give them their permit to construct the facility. So it's the, it's the site-specific construction authorization that is uh, approved through FERC. And that is a very substantial, detailed, rigorous process that involves environmental impact statements once projects have gone through that lengthy, expensive, and detailed process to get FERC authorization, the Department of Energy will issue the non-FTA. From the standpoint being that there's never been a refusal or a rejection of a non-FTA permit once projects have, have gone through the, the FERC process. And from the environmentalist standpoint, they've channeled all of their opposition around FERC. And that has, in many instances, you know, slowed the process down, imposed more scrutiny on certain projects. But there's been a lot that's been approved. Now, since the Biden administration came in to power, there weren't really a lot of pending approvals on on the docket. There'd been a lot that had been approved under the Obama administration and the Trump administration, and a lot of that had been developed and was being developed. But there were some more sort of projects planned, but they were sort of in, in the relatively early stages. So this wasn't an issue that was front and center for the Biden administration, but it slowly started creeping up as projects made their way through the FERC process, and then they came to the DOE's desk. And with the way in which Biden was was elected, very much on a sort of pro-climate platform, this was an opportunity for the environmental opposition to LNG to switch focus and channel more of their efforts on the issues around the non-FTA approval, which is which is very much a, a White House decision. It's part of the, the executive. And so that was very interesting because we hadn't seen this sort of shift in strategy before. And it became very notable through the course of last year, within the context of what I was saying, that for the first two years of the Biden administration, there really weren't too many decisions pending. There were a handful of decisions on LNG 
and non-FTA authorizations, but they weren't necessarily for brand new projects. They were so there's a variety of decisions, you know, pertaining to increases in what had previously been authorized on earlier projects or other instances, projects coming that have previously been approved and coming back to the Biden administration for a second look. But there weren't any that many new projects pending. And so that's why the issue was sort of under the radar for a little while and then started to become a big issue as more of these decisions started coming to the DOE's desk. And that that really happened, started happening last year. And so how long do you think that this you know, potential freeze, this review process could last? Well, it's going to last until the election because that's, you know, the number one driver of this decision. I think it's worth just sort of thinking through or, or talking through a little bit the lead up to this decision. And I, I started in the last answer, but I think it's important. There are five very significant elements of what has culminated in the pause announcement. There's five elements, and I'll just go go through those. So first of all, the campaign against LNG. I said it's always been a factor. It's nothing new. It's gone through periods where it's been a bit louder and quieter. But there were kind of three elements of this campaign over the last six months which have been quite distinctive. The first one, and I've already mentioned it, is that it was targeted at the Department of Energy, very clearly targeted at the Department of Energy, which, as I said, you know, sits within the administration, Secretary of Energy, Jennifer Granham, appointed by the executive, whereas before it was, there was a lot of focus on FERC, This was going to be focused on the the Department of Energy. That's number one. The second component, it was a highly coordinated campaign. It involved all the familiar actors, environmental NGOs, Sierra Club, and so forth. But it also involved numerous other actors that we hadn't really seen before. It involved political actors. It enlisted very strong support within the Democratic Party. It included high-profile environmental activists in ways that we haven't seen previously. And it involved both national and international NGOs and grassroots organizations. Okay, so that's two. Targeted on DOE, highly coordinated across multiple actors. The third element that was unique or different about this campaign is that those grassroots organizations were grassroots Louisiana and Texas. Now, around the United States, communities' feelings about oil and gas projects vary very, you know, widely. And we have seen in different parts of the country, very strong local opposition. We think of Oregon, where local environmentalists essentially were able to kill off LNG prospects on the west coast of the US. And in the Northeast, I mean, there have been efforts to 
develop LNG export capacity in Pennsylvania, proximate to the Marcellus and, and very close to uh, you know the largest gas field in the U.S. But very very strong environmental opposition. And Cove Point in Maryland did encounter very strong opposition, but it was it was a regas terminal. It had already been built, and so it's a different proposition. I mean, the company was seeking to essentially repurpose something that was already there. But nonetheless, by and large, Texas and Louisiana, different ball game. You know, very industrialized, and local communities have in the past been less concerned about more infrastructure being built in the community. That's that's changed. And it's very notable about this campaign is that local communities were a much more vocal element in the very heartland of the industry and the very heartland of the LN, you know, US LNG industry, which, you know, is the, the center of it is on the Texas-Louisiana border. Okay, so those are the three three components. I said there were two more. The campaign was taking place within a particular context. And you've said it. We're in an election year, and it's going to be a very intensely fought election. There's another element, which is very, very important and interrelated with that, which is the reaction that came about after the Biden administration approved the Willow Oil Project in Alaska. So this was approved in 2022, and it's an oil project that required federal approvals, and they were granted. And the Biden administration, you know, bear in mind, Jacob, I mean, we were still sort of in something of an energy crisis internationally. Europe was facing dire predicament, potentially, with the cutoff of Russian gas. Oil prices were very volatile. Willow got approved. But the reaction to that was at a level that the Biden administration was not ready for or not fully anticipating. There were several million signatures uh, on petitions directed at the White House to say, you lied to us. You lied to us. We gave you your vote and you lied to us. You, we, we, we elected you that you would not approve any more fossil fuel. And because of that reaction, and now you start to put all these pieces together, the campaign, the election year, avoid a willow 2.0, all of that came together to culminate in the decision that the Biden administration made last Friday when they said, we are going to pause. They had to do it because they had to diffuse the pressure, the enormous pressure that they were coming under from the campaign, which was basically saying to them, if you approve another fossil fuel export project, we will hurt you in the, in the election. Now, the question has been put to me, is that a genuine political calculus? What, what are the actual risks here for the Biden administration? Because they're not going to lose the votes of environmentally conscious voters to the Republican Party when the leading Republican candidate, Donald Trump, has basically said, you know, on day one, it will be drill, drill, drill. But I think that misses the point. It misses a really important point, which is that it's voter apathy 
that the Biden administration is concerned about. It's voters not turning out on election day. Biden really needs to come out in force to get the victory they, they want. And so that's where the calculation comes in, in terms of the political risks. I think one of the, the most immediate questions from the market is, what does this mean for U.S. Uh, LNG export capacity in the in the short term or you know in the medium term? And what is the scope of the projects that could be affected? We've been tracking in our, our uh, North American LNG project tracker, we have about seven projects we consider commercially advanced that could be impacted, another four that are less advanced that they could also be delayed. What what do you think of this, the scope of this action and what are some of the more crucial projects we should be paying attention to? There's an element of this with respect to the impact, which is very clear and unambiguous. And then there are other aspects that are less clear and are somewhat unknown. So it's, it's maybe worth just thinking about the issues that kind of fall on on one side of those or the other. So what is certain about this? Let's let's start there. You know, we can say with certainty that this doesn't have any immediate impact on US LNG exports. This is not a ban on US LNG exports. It doesn't have any immediate impact on global security of supply because it affects projects that wanted to start construction but haven't yet started construction. And, you know, any of these projects are a sort of minimum three to four year construction time. So even if one of the affected projects were to start construction today, you know, the LNG wouldn't be available until, you know, several years from now, late 27, 2028, that, that sort of time frame. We'll look at those projects, but, but, but just to uh, continue on that point. So it doesn't affect currently producing and exporting projects. It doesn't affect all the capacity that is currently under construction in the US. And there is a significant amount of new capacity under construction on projects that took FID. Think about Golden Pass, February 2019, the Venture Global's Plaquemines and Chenier's Corpus Stage 3. That was in 2022. So all all of those projects have been under construction for, for quite some time. And then the two FIDs that happened last year, Port Arthur and Rio Grande LNG. So all of that is under construction, some of it well under construction, and we'll, we'll start coming online within the next year or so. And when you add it all up, it's close to 80 million tons per annum of new capacity. So the Biden administration's pause doesn't affect the 90 million tons per annum of currently online capacity across the seven terminals. It doesn't affect the five new projects. And so US LNG is still on its way to growing from where we are today at about 90, just under, to somewhere close to 170 by the end of this decade. And that ramp up will start occurring from early next year 
over the subsequent few years. Now, we can also be certain about the projects that this does impact. There are various numbers of projects. Yes, because you look at sort of these pending decisions, and in total, there's, there's over 10 pending decisions. But it's a smaller number of projects, in our view, that are directly impacted insofar as projects that really were only or for which getting getting the approvals was the main thing they needed to move forward. And uh, I would say there's two projects that stand out, and then there's a few more projects that would have had a good chance to, to reach FID this year uh, that are unlikely to. And then beyond that core group of five, then there's a few more which you can't really say with with any confidence that getting the approval would have meant the projects moving very quickly to FID. As as I look at the projects, there's there's really around four or five that are directly impacted insofar as without the approvals, they won't be able to move forward in a context otherwise that they, they would have been quite likely to move ahead. So if, if you'd like, we can, we can go through those. Yeah, let's do that. And, and I guess just for context, there's been about 50 BCF a day of projects that have been granted non-FGA permits. There's currently five under construction on the Gulf Coast that are worth about 11 BCF a day. There, are, there will be some delays and impacts of projects, but we do have a lot of volumes still floating out there. Yeah, that's right. The first one to look at is uh, Venture Global's Calcasieu Pass Phase 2. And actually, as I mentioned there, I'm sort of thinking back to the elements of the uh, anti-LNG campaign that I um, detailed in some of my earlier comments. Remember I said there were kind of three, three significant features of the campaign. I said it was very focused on the DOE. It was highly coordinated, and it enlisted grassroots organizations from the Louisiana area for the first time. There's actually one more that I I didn't mention that I'll mention now. It was highly targeted around Venture Global's Calcasieu Pass Phase 2 in a way that we've never seen before in terms of opposition to LNG. Opposition to LNG in the U.S. has always been broadly against the industry. Where there is opposition, it doesn't target necessarily one project above the other. It's just a a sort of constant background level of pressure from organizations that that don't want to see more LNG get built in the US. However, the campaign over the last six months, an unusual feature is has been very focused on Calcasieu Pass Phase 2. This has been really the target of the campaign, the sharp end of their campaign. They've chosen it. They've chosen it strategically. And one of the reasons or the reason that it's been targeted and chosen specifically it is because it is by far the most commercially advanced project, large-scale project, planned in the U.S. And that shows a level of sophistication in the campaign, which is noteworthy. 
because the campaign was sufficiently knowledgeable and aware of the characteristics of the different projects that are planned and out there to be able to say that this is the one we need above all others to try and stop in to stop in its tracks and that's because uh, venture global has been very successful in emerging as a significant new player in in US LNG it built its first project at Calcasieu Pass in Louisiana it was completed in 2022 that started up it has another big project also in Louisiana on the east side of the state at Plaquemines that's under construction altogether there's about 30 million tons the venture global has built or is building Calcasieu Pass phase 2 is its next project another 20 million tons of plan capacity. And the project had been making very significant progress. It's announced almost 10 million tons of SPAs to a variety of what you might call top-tier international buyers, which is exactly what the lenders and investors want to see. They want to see you know, high credit-worthy buyers that de-risk the project The project was very, very likely to move quickly to FID once it got its approvals. Venture Global has a a very strong track record in uh, bringing together project financing that it needs to make a final investment decision. So it was the the approvals. That, that That was the thing that was outstanding. It was making its way last year through the FERC process. It completed its final, FERC completed the uh, final environmental impact statement in July and was granted a positive FEIS. Essentially, FERC staff concluded, yes, there would be some impacts, but not significant that couldn't be addressed, but overall a positive FEIS which meant that FERC staff were saying, we have no problem in this project going ahead. We think it meets the environmental standards that we want to see, enabling the commission to make a positive decision to approve the project. What that meant was that the FERC decision was scheduled for October last year. And so that's where the campaign really started building up and focusing a lot of its attention on CP2, putting a lot of pressure on FERC, because as we said at the beginning of the conversation, as soon as FERC has approved a project, it immediately goes to the Department of Energy for the non-FTA. So this is the, the two final steps that CP2 needed was FERC approval and then and then DOE. Now, because the DOE has made this, you know, announced the pause. It's very it's going to be very interesting to see whether FERC actually continues to delay approval of CP2 because they've been delaying since October. They've been waiting, not seemingly not comfortable making a decision given the political context. But it'd be very interesting to see what happens. My, my sense is that the FERC Commission will, will want to continue to take its time, maybe thinking that while the pause is in place, the project can't move forward anyway, 
And therefore, why would we want to make a controversial decision ourselves, given the, the sort of overriding pause, moratorium, sort of slows things down or stops things temporarily anyway? But we don't know. So that's one of the unknowns. But nonetheless, CP2 would most likely have uh, reached FID by now if those approvals had already been forthcoming. And then we can start to look at a few other projects. Chenier's expansion at Corpus Christi Stage 3, it's much smaller. It's only two mid-scale trains, about 3 million tons combined. That also would have had a very good chance of proceeding this year, proceeding to construction. And then there's a few more where there's less certainty in terms of how quickly they would have been able to move forward because more progress would otherwise have been needed on the marketing side or on the EPC side. But nonetheless, it's very clear that these other projects that I'm going to mention are impacted by the pause. They needed their non-FTA. They're not going to be getting one until this pause is listed. And I'll just mention those three. There's Commonwealth LNG in Louisiana. There's Port Arthur Phase 2 in Texas. And there's Saguaro LNG in West Mexico. And that's very interesting that it's in West Mexico, because by by virtue of the fact that Mexico Pacific wants to supply that project with feed gas from the Permian Basin, any project in neighboring countries, whether it's Canada or Mexico, that wants to export U.S. gas through a neighboring country still has to get non-FTA approval. So even though it sits outside of U.S. jurisdiction for many of the other approvals or all of them, environmental and so forth, on the issue of non-FTA, if it's U.S. gas, it needs DOE approval. So West Mexico also impacted. And so what do you think also about Lake Charles? I I think you know, you could consider them kind of the, uh, the the test run to this new scrutiny at, at DOE. They were denied a, an extension of their authorization because they didn't commence exports seven years after original, and now they've gotten back in line. But they say they have contracts or at least uh, tentative agreements in hand, and now they're starting the process over and trying to speed it up where they can. Yeah, and so there's there's you know there's a few more projects in in the list, and you're right, Lake Charles is is one of them. I think it's interesting because, as you said, Lake Charles has a non-FTA permit already, but the deadline of when it should you know start producing is next year, and Energy Transfer that owns Lake Charles doesn't have enough time to build the project by its December 2025 deadline. So Lake Charles requested more time, and they were denied that request. They had already previously been given an extension, and the DOE last year said, you're asking us for a second extension, and I'm afraid that we can't keep giving extensions, so they denied it. That left Lake Charles with no alternative apply for a brand new non-FTA permit. And 
Yes, they have made quite a bit of uh, or some commercial progress. There is still a lot more they need to do in terms of various milestones, project planning. The approval is not is not the only one. But what's very interesting about that, Jacob, is that it shows that what is on the DOE's docket is a very important point, actually, because now we begin to think through about what happens when the pause is lifted, i.e. post the 2024 election, come inauguration day, and thereafter, when this pause is lifted, as we expect it will be, how does the DOE then work through the backlog of decisions that are now accumulating? And the reason why I mentioned that in the context of Lake Charles is because there's always been in the past something of a cue in terms of how these decisions are made. And it's always because there was only one kind of approval. It was for a new project that had gone through the same process. They'd all gone through the same process. They apply for FERC. I explained it right at the the top of the call. Go through FERC, get that, go to DOE, get your non-FTA. Okay, you're fully permitted. And sort of cue, as projects made their way sequentially through FERC, they then made their way sequentially through the non-FTA approval process. And so the the cue, such that there, there was one or has been one, is all the projects that the first one to go through FERC then became the first one to get their non-FTA. And that's what we saw happening. Now what you have in the DOE's backlog is some of those like traditional, so, so to speak, decisions pending. They're new projects. There's Commonwealth. There's Port Arthur Phase 2. They've gone through FERC. They've got that. Now they're just waiting for the non-FTA. But then you have projects that have reapplied because they ran out of time on their original permit, and that would be Lake Charles and Magnolia. So, you know, what should go first? I mean, what what needs to be reviewed first? And if the DOE, after their studies, are going to come back and say, we need to sort of cap the ultimate amount of export that we authorize, you know, where does that leave projects in these sort of different categories? And then there's a third category, which is Mexico, which is outside of the FERC process entirely. So, you know, they're not really in that kind of queue to start with. So I think that's what what, what makes this quite complex. And, and that's one of the unknowns about when the pause were lifted, you know, what will we see happen in terms of the projects that are focused on first? And I mean, I think that brings up what I think is a valid point. Do you think it's fair to say that um, there's been a lot of criticism that this is the worst possible time to quote unquote play politics with these exports, given the the context of the war in Ukraine and, and the uh, natural gas supply crunch that has happened after that, and, and that you're potentially skewing the supply. But is this decision critical to these projects? Because we've already seen a slowdown in FIDs. We've already seen a uh, number of projects that for almost a decade haven't been able to move forward. And there is a lot of already approved volumes out there that have no contracts. Yeah, and you, you raise an excellent question, and I and I think it, it's the big question about how does this play out. And I think 
what is critical to note is how the Biden administration framed the pause, how it framed the pause, the basis upon which the pause decision was made. It's absolutely critical to acknowledge the reasons that were given. And it wasn't just climate or environmental concerns broadly. There were two other very important reasons that were given and that are essential to thinking about how this issue might evolve and how much is riding for the industry on whether we see Biden re-elected or Trump elected. And so what are those two other reasons that the Biden administration gave? Well, number one is that, well, let's say, let's go through the three. First one, climate. Yeah, we get that. Big environmental concern, climate change, transition away from fossil fuel, big election issue, fine, done, climate. Second one, domestic economy. How does this impact the U.S. consumer? How does it impact energy prices for ordinary people or manufacturers or local industry? That's a very significant part of the study that the Biden administration are saying they want to look at. It's been looked at in the past. 2018 was the last time that uh, details analysis was done on the, uh, the market impacts of U.S. LNG. You know, US LNG is now sort of moving its way to becoming 25 BCF a day of gas demand in the US market. And, uh, you know, when, when all the under construction capacity is online. So that's an important one. That in itself will create opportunities to put LNG under more scrutiny in terms of its, its impact. And then the third one this is major the IEA in its 2023. World Energy Outlook said this, the world doesn't need any more LNG. They said the gas demand is going to peak within the next decade or so. LNG demand will also peak within the forecast period. The IEA said that there is enough LNG capacity on stream and under construction to meet global LNG demand until 2040. So now you have these three issues which are going to be reviewed, analyzed, thought through, but critically, they are going to feed into the decision-making context post-election when the opportunity becomes live again in terms of lifting this pause. The difference between a Biden win and a Trump win is uh, very significant on this issue. Right, right. Well, I think that this has been a great conversation. We've tried to break down the edges of the issue. And I think uh, we'll, we'll have more to talk about in, in the near future as uh, this, I can imagine this is only going to heat up as we get towards November. Absolutely. Yeah. So thank you. Thank you again for joining me. And if you're if you're interested in this topic, make sure to reach out to Alex and 
and uh, look at all the great analysis that RapidN has uh, put out there and, and check back with uh, NGI's content where hopefully we'll, we'll be featuring uh, Alex again in the months to come. So thank you guys so much for uh, joining another episode of the Hub and Flow podcast. Thanks a lot, Jacob. Dependable data drives informed business decisions. Trust NGI to provide your natural gas and LNG data for North America. If your business requires daily, weekly, or midweek pricing data, forward curves, or flow data, NGI has a reliable product suite to support you. Visit natgasintel.com backslash services to understand what we have to offer and how we can help you and your business today. Thank you for listening to NGI's Hub & Flow podcast today. We encourage you to subscribe to the podcast, rate and review it, and please do share it with your colleagues. A trusted provider of natural gas news, data, and pricing information for North America, NGI offers subscription-based products. Please visit natgasintel.com if you are interested in NGI and our services. If you would like to dive deeper into this subject, additional resources are available on our website as well. Just visit natgasintel.com and click on the resources tab to find the podcast page.